Hello and welcome to this episode of the Motherhood Made Magic podcast. Today I am speaking with Dr. Sophie Brock, who has taught me so much about motherhood and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. So she is a motherhood studies sociologist and single mother to her four-year-old daughter living in Sydney, Australia. She works with mothers and professionals who support mothers to understand the ways mothers' experiences are socially and culturally shaped. Sophie advocates for the liberation of motherhood and support for empowered practices of mothering through her online courses, membership, mentoring, certification program, and her podcast, The Good Enough Mother. Welcome, Sophie. Thanks for having me, Anna. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Can never talk enough about motherhood, so here we are. Yeah, I know two motherhood nerds getting together just to chat about a jam. What does the word motherhood mean to you? I tend to think of motherhood as distinct from mother or mothering. So I actually think about motherhood um, as a social construct. So I see it as the thing that is external to us that we kind of enter into when we become mothers. And that is one that is culturally defined and shaped in a particular way. And it seems like this natural thing that is just part of common sense and taken for granted as just the way that things are. Um, but of course, as we as we know that that's not the case and the more that we can make that visible, the more I think we can reclaim our position as women who are mothers within the structure of motherhood. You make the distinction as you speak there between, you say women and women who are mothers, women who are mothering. Where is the split in our social understandings between womanhood and motherhood? Well, the distinction between motherhood as an institution or as the social construct and mothering as the practice that was originally made by Adrienne Rich in her book of Woman One. Um, and then Sarah Ruddick uh, made a kind of theory around mothering as a practice and maternal thinking as something that people who mother engage in. I think socially in kind of our general dialogue, we don't see those distinctions as being present. We think about just mothers, motherhood, mother and oftentimes we actually can take woman as being synonymous with mother so there's this assumption that in order to actually achieve womanhood and to do womanhood right then that means you are a mother or you're yearning to be a mother or are trying to become a mother and so I think that that's really problematic all of the ways that we've actually conflated what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a mother and in the mix there there is what it means to be the wife right the kind of institution of part of our patriarchal culture around what it means to be the good wife and and we trace this back to the good girl as well so I kind of think that those uh, terms and these concepts are really enmeshed still in our cultural dialogue but that part of the work that we want to do is actually to untangle them and to examine them as concepts individually. Mm, They are so interwoven aren't they because there is this issue of the good girl that haunts for a better word many of us into our our adult lives there's also this notion that if you are a woman who is not a mother by choice or not by choice then you have failed as a woman but when people do become mothers then we can't win at motherhood either would you be able to elaborate on what you see as the current social rules of motherhood and how that sets us up to be so boxed in right for failure as you said, in the ways um, that we are set up as for motherhood to be our goal in order to kind of feel a sense of achievement or completion as as women, as individuals in our society, um, there is also this sense of 
we go to motherhood as this place to kind of find ourselves but motherhood as a social construct and the mother role is really devalued and not recognized within our society either and so we can come to a place where we feel almost caught and a bit stuck in motherhood because we on the one hand have been sold that this is our path to kind of achievement and success and on the other hand we're within a culture that really devalues um, the role of mothers and mothering work and care work more broadly. Um, and so it can be really difficult to find our sense of identity and place and purpose as mothers. And we feel as though oftentimes we blame ourselves for this, right? We feel as though this is just us and it's something that we're not doing right. It's something that maybe we weren't meant to be mothers. Maybe we don't have uh, our, our natural kind of capacity or ability to be mothers. And we tend to self-blame for what are often uh, reflections and symptoms of broader structural and social problems um, and challenges. But uh, getting back to, I suppose, the way that we think about what it means to be a mother in our society and and a woman in our society and what some of the roles are around the rules of the good woman, the good girl, the good mother, I tend to invite people to think about and write down on a sheet of paper all of the things they think make up the perfect mum or the good mum. What's the archetype of the mother in your mind? And as we start writing these things down on a sheet of paper, we recognize that our answers will depend on our own upbringing. They'll depend on the way we were mothered. Um, they'll depend on how we relate to other mothers or not. It depends on whether we are mothers ourselves, of course, as well. Um, but we come up with this list of things and on that list, there'll be some, some of that will be our values, the things that we think are important that are part of what it means to be a mother and to raise a human being. Um, but some of those things will also be socially prescribed. Um, they are things that we actually share in terms of a common understanding of what it means to be a good mum. And what I like to do is to make visible what some of those social rules are and to deconstruct them a little bit and get curious about where they've come from. Um, and to rattle off a few as kind of examples for your listeners is that often the perfect mum or the good mother, she takes really good care of herself, right? So she looks a particular way. Um, the default that is presented and put on a pedestal is the mother who is white, middle class, likely married, uh, likely has you know 2.4 children um, of both sexes she is not economically dependent on anyone so she doesn't rely on the state and I use rely in air quotes she doesn't rely on the state um, or a partner for financial security so she engages in some form of paid work but she makes sure she never puts that work before her children so her children always come first before anything else as she's self-sacrificing, she proves her love through how much of herself she gives away to her children, to her partner, to her community. And she, in many ways, steps back in order to supposedly allow for the growth of her children and of others. Um, and there are all sorts of other variations that are attached to this in terms of mothering practices around how she cooks, how she cleans, how she volunteers, um, how she self-cares, right? So it's really broad, the perfect mother myth in the pressures and the rules that it prescribes. Um, but I think part of what we can do to help break these down a little bit and deconstruct them is first to make them visible in this way and get curious about how we've internalized these rules. And they're so insidious. These are the messages that we've collected from everywhere through our lives and continue to take in every day, whether that's 
through social media influences or looking at ads on TV or even within a course of yours I did, you did a, an analysis of an episode where of a, a children's story where it was looking at where the different characters are presented uh, on screen and how they act. And these are the things that are so swept up in our subconscious, our unawareness of what we should be like. And it does leave such a narrow tightrope to walk and to inevitably not live up to. We find ourselves on that hamster wheel of trying harder and overwhelm and anger and all of those sorts of things. I love the quote tile that you gave recently. We've been sold a lie in motherhood that we prove our love for our children through selflessness. I think you just touched on that a little bit in looking at the guidelines of how to be a perfect mother. But would you like to explore that a little further? Part of the ways in which we can experience lots of challenges in motherhood when we enter that social realm of motherhood is that we live within um, what I frame as competing ideologies. So another way of saying this is we live within a context of competing pressures or expectations as women who become mothers. Um, One is the ideology or the pressures around individualism, neoliberalism, kind of big sweeping um, ideologies and ways of thinking in our society, in Western culture around what it means to be a successful person, right? So you're you're self-sufficient, you work really, really hard, you climb your way up the ladder, you work hard, you have a certain type of success that is linked with financial success as well. Um, So self-worth is really tied to economic worth and your capacity um, to prove yourself and your intellect, your skills, your the things that make you uniquely yourself, right? So we have this kind of, and it's not saying that those things are necessarily bad or wrong. Um, it's not saying we need to put a moral lens on this, but it's just to notice the predominant ways of thinking um, that shape our cultural language and understanding in how we look at ourselves and each other and as also shape bigger things like our social policy our economic policy um, for example and we live in the context of these other set of social rules and norms and expectations around what it means to be a good mother and interestingly a lot of the rules around good motherhood jut up right against those rules of being a good independent person okay so even thinking about in terms of independence, and this will lead us to talk about self-sacrifice, we have on a pedestal our capacity to be independent, and that is celebrated, right? Think about the things we celebrate in finishing school, getting your driver's license, you know, if you go to university, your first job, moving out of home, like we have things that we celebrate that are around us moving away from a state of dependence into a state of self-sufficiency. And then when we become mothers, we enter into a new form of relationship that is based on interdependence, that is based on actually your role as a mother in whether you have a pregnancy, right, in actually growing another human being, um, in then keeping another human being alive that is reliant on us. And we can no longer, uh, easily anyways, we can no longer fit within this model of the celebrated independence and self-sufficiency of the individual when we are responsible for keeping a little infant alive. Um, And that responsibility goes on and on and on and on, right? For most of our lives, even when our children reach adulthood, there is still a level of interdependence that continues, I think, for many. Um, And so where within this context, 
where as mothers, we're kind of pressured into trying to live up to both, which are actually opposing. And this is why so many of us who are mums really struggle in trying to find that elusive balance between being an employee or a paid in the paid workforce and being a mum. And this is what leads me to to share around the quote tile that you've just read out in terms of self-sacrifice, because we're being asked to give of ourselves and give up who we are for our kids in order to prove our love for them, to prove our worth, to to show how good of a mum we are, to nurture their development and growth through almost stunting ours or shying ours away because we don't want to be seen as selfish or self-indulgent or putting anything above our children. Yet on the other hand, we're asked to be these kind of successful, productive citizens and workers. And the two are incompatible. And this is why we kind of switch positions when we uh, take on, you know, care for our children. We may drop them off at daycare or at school and we we leave our mum hat off there and then we go and we put our working hat on and, and back and forth. And so I think this is a really pervasive challenge that lots of mothers in our Uh, in our culture face, but that isn't named. You know, we just kind of take it for granted. This is how it is. And if we're struggling, it's up to us. And so part of what I'm passionate about is really breaking down that binary and saying, let's question this notion that we've been led to believe we prove our love through how much of ourselves we give away. I think it's the opposite. It's a loaded notion, the idea of selflessness. You must have been asked a million times, why is it so hard for me to ask for help? why am I doing this by myself and it's so hard and I'm so tired and I'm so depleted but no one's here to help me and we're not going to break free and be able to understand why that is until we dig into some of this stuff that is is socially patterned not not personally chosen there are some other pieces that you've been writing recently around breaking the rules of motherhood is reliant on breaking free of good girl conditioning and around the pulling down of what you might call the mask of motherhood. What would you like listeners to know about those ideas? So I would first say there's um, a book by Susan Moshart on the mask of motherhood, if others are interested. Um, That's kind of where that language originated from. But I suppose I think about it in terms of the way that we've been conditioned into the social construction of motherhood starts well before we're mums, as you read out there around good girl conditioning. And I think it starts from my children ourselves, right, in the ways that we look at girls and we ask and we praise and we notice what they do for others, how much they're able to serve others, uh, how kind they are, caring they are, thoughtful they are. Um, again, not to put a moral lens on this and say that we shouldn't be teaching our children those things, of course not, but let's notice and get curious about the things that we praise and reward in our girls that differ from the things that we praise and reward in our boys. And the mask of motherhood and patriarchal motherhood, I want to just add like a little asterisk here, It's rather than going to that conversation, but to just say that it harms our boys too, and that it has implications for, for men as well. And I think sometimes, again, we're led to believe in this sort of dichotomized way of thinking that this us and them mentality, but I really like to emphasize the structure that we're all living within as describe it like the fish tank that we're living within and that we're all swimming around within that tank and let's make visible um, how we've been conditioned into believing that that's our home and that's just the way that it is and that it's not changeable. So when we go back to looking at good conditioning, 
and all the ways that we can be praised for moving out of the way, making space for others, the fierceness and the messiness and the complexity and the, the chaos actually that can come with our experience of being human beings with a full breadth of emotional experience, uh, that is too messy for others to see and to hold. And so we want to quieten that down. We want to tame it. We want to make sure that it's palatable for others and that we are thinking about how others are feeling and, and receiving us and our presence. Um, and I just get curious about the messages that we're given then as children and how these can relate to the messaging that we receive very strongly when we become mothers. So I kind of see good girl conditioning and the conditioning we experience socially as girls, as teenagers, as young women, um, and thinking about how that sets a particular stage for what we enter into when we become mothers and that a lot of that those shoulds are kind of dialed up in intensity when we become mothers ourselves um, and interestingly i think there's another phase through kind of menopause and postmenopause where actually that dial kind of comes down a little bit many women step into a new sense of um, their power because some of these shoulds and social scripts um, are not placed so intensely on the woman then right because of a whole bunch of reasons part of this also has to do with like the beauty myth that we're subject to but really I'm saying that to point at all of the ways through which social structure impacts us at every stage of our life course from when we're babies until we reach the end of our lives if, if we do so so I think being conscious of good girl conditioning can really be our point at which we can start to claim back some of our power as mothers who are doing the mothering work of our daughters and of our sons um, to see the ways in which we may be able to create some little cracks and shifts in the future generation of, of what it means to be a mother in our culture. Mm, and it is in that site of the mothering work rather than the dense oppressive feelings of the motherhood experience that we can start to feel some of that opening to possibility and that reclamation. And I love that you are sharing this message so well. You mentioned how we're all within this fish tank. We're all within this experience of our society at all stages of our life. How much control or perhaps control is an illusion, but how much choice and agency do you think we actually have in our experience of motherhood? I mean, it's a complex question and one that I, I think I don't have the answers to necessarily, but to say that what I tend to, to try and do in my work is to first make visible that fish tank, to first make visible the ways in which we're swimming around in a world that has particular rules and expectations around what it means to be a woman, a mother. And we can extend this more broadly to all different sorts of roles that we inhabit as human beings. And looking at the social labels, you know, that are placed on us and that we occupy. Uh, so to first make visible that tank to say, well, this is what we're swimming within. Like, let's actually make visible the things that are seemingly uh, there, right? Because in order for them to be maintained, they actually need to remain invisible. We can't actually start to change something or push back against something when we can't actually see it or name it or talk about it. So I see that as our first step. Second step is actually a sense of self-compassion, which means emphasizing the ways that we don't necessarily have choice in the ways we're led to believe we are. So that is going, okay, where am I experiencing guilt? Where am I experiencing self-blame? 
Where am I shooting on myself? Where am I thinking that the reason why I'm struggling is purely through my failings? And so bringing in a sense of compassion there after we have an awareness of the structure to see all of the ways that our individual lives, experiences and choices have actually been shaped within a particular context. Then, though, I think the next step of that um, is important to take, because if we stay in that place, we can be left with a real sense of powerlessness, um, a sense of being immobile, a sense of recognition that we're living within this tank of motherhood, this social context, and we can't actually jump out of the tank. You know, we can't actually, I mean, you know, if we completely move into a whole different culture, then maybe, um, but, you know, also to make that that point there is a side note that the tank looks different in different cultures this is not the way that motherhood is or has been um, and it's contextually and historically dependent uh, but to go okay well now that I recognize I'm in the tank now that I understand the ways that I've internalized those shoulds and those rules that have been written up around what it means to be a mum how can I start to take back some agency here and this is what Professor Andrea O'Reilly calls mothering against motherhood so the ways that we can actually use our agency, use our power as women who are mothering our children, you know, as individuals who now recognize the context we live within, how we can start to take back some of our own power and choice within these constraints. Um, and so that's where we start getting down to looking at what our values are individually, kind of going through a process of untangling those shoulds from what is actually valuable and important to us. Um, an example of this may be cooking, right? Because part of the perfect mother myth is that you bake from scratch, you provide homemade meals to your family, you come up with this ever, ever never ending list of creative meals to offer and that um, you have you know, certain scripts around what it means to be that good mother providing that nutritious food. So that's part of the ideology of the perfect mother myth, yes. But for some women, actually, that will be a really important value that they, they share, um, something that they love doing, something that they enjoy doing, something that is a creative outlet for them, something that brings them a lot of joy and contentment and fulfillment. And so it's about saying, okay, what do I actually feel? What do I desire? What do I want? And what have I been trained out of feeling and desiring and wanting and making space to reclaim some of that for us and get curious about how we can start to inject more of ourselves into our motherhood. And that's where I think we are able to reclaim some of our power we are able to become more conscious and aware of the ways that our children are being socialized. Um, and we can start to forge and create a path of motherhood that is reclaimed as ours, even whilst we're living within this broader social and cultural context of motherhood um, that let's hope we can change over the next couple of generations at least. I really love that answer. Well, I love and hate it because there's so much wisdom in it, but it's also a case of there are so many therapists out there providing strategies and answers and all of that kind of thing without necessarily understanding the ways that we are boxed in because of the power our society works. And some of the work that you are doing at the moment, perhaps would, would you say that it's the majority of your work now connecting this information from the academic discipline of motherhood studies? And you mentioned Professor Andrea O'Reilly in there and she's kind of the top of the tree in this discipline um, to the professionals who actually support mothers on the ground. How do you do that? 
Well, as you know, Anna, I have the certification program, which is basically designed to take some of the theory that I've been sharing here. Um, and that has been, I mean, with scholars have been writing on this for decades. Like this isn't new. It's, it's not like we've just like of woman born is from 1976. Like this yes. has been around for a while. Um, it's just that it, it hasn't been able to gain traction uh, in the way that I think it deserves to have gained some traction in not only the academic realm, but then socially as well. I think we're making moves towards that and, and every conversation counts and makes a difference. Uh, but yeah, that's where the majority of my work is focused on is in public education, having conversations like this um, and being able to talk to mothers about this fish tank and this process of what it means to unpack and examine and get curious around the way we've been socialized. And then to be able to go through basically the same process, but in a setting that is aimed at supporting professionals uh, to understand firstly their own internalization of this work, um, and then to be able to, to support other mothers um, through this very same process. And I think the more that we're able to do this across disciplines um, in different parts of the world and at different stages of the life course for mothers as well, um, not only focusing on new mums, but focusing or mums of you know teens and of adult children as well. I think the more power we have, you know, as a collective in coming together and doing this type of work. Mm. You take enrollments from people all over the world. What are some of the things that you have learnt about motherhood in different socio-cultural historical contexts from the participants within your study cohorts as the facilitator, as well as all of the insights that you've shared with those participants? Has anything surprised you? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question and one that I've been reflecting on. Um, I think that I am surprised at how similar um, the experiences of patriarchal motherhood actually is. So speaking with some participants from uh, like Mexico, um, from North America, from the UK, from Slovenia, from Saudi Arabia, um, and thinking about all of the ways that actually we we share a lot, <laughs> you know, even though we are from really different parts of the world. Um, and I've tried to make my certification accessible for people in different socioeconomic positions as well, in order to be able to recognize that how we are situated actually in terms of how much we're able to access the internet or, you know, a course, for example, like that also impacts what sort of experiences you'll be hearing from it and who is able to share and use their voices in those spaces. But part of what I have been surprised at is actually how relevant this information and this way of thinking is um, cross-culturally. And there has been some research that has looked at this in terms of intensive mothering ideology, um, which is basically another way of saying the perfect mother myth. Um, but it's the practice of mothering in an intensive way that lives up to this perfect mother myth, um, that actually that is a, a theory from Sharon Hayes. And there's been some research that has looked at that theory cross-culturally and has found lots of resonances as well, because we tend to think there's um, a lot of this work and going back to Adrian Rich um, is kind of has been grounded in and a lot of the roots that are 
drawn from and spoken about in public discourse like this are actually from white middle class feminists. And so there's um, an understanding and recognition there of you know, where we receive our knowledge from, what knowledge is platformed and seen as valuable and whose voices we're hearing. And we those conversations are incredibly important to be having. Um, I think from the certification, it's reminded me of how much work there is still to do and how much value there is in hearing diverse voices and different people's experiences of mothering and, and of working with mothers, uh, but also just a, a real sense of uh, collective and shared passion in wanting to create a, a change and, and see difference, um, to be able to support mothers and, and knowing that that actually means supporting children and communities more broadly too. Yes, yes. Healthy and supported mothers means healthy and supported families and communities and societies and this is how the change ripples out and I, I really respect the way that you are going about making this information and this program more accessible for more people. As a graduate of the first round, I can attest to its quality and it just was so interesting and eye-opening at, at different parts. There was something that grabbed me from each of the trainings in there. So as many people who can do that, the better. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, yeah, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and the work that you're doing and knowing that, you know, it's a it's a collective movement, you know, that we're part of in trying to create this change and to create awareness and to create connection between all of us too. Mm, it's wonderful to be all a part of it. Is there anything else you would like to add, Sophie, before we wind up? Um, just really that, you know, whoever is listening to this episode to really understand that you're not alone in this, that, you know, there are many people who experience similar challenges, even though it can feel a really, like a really isolating experience to go through sometimes um, that transition into motherhood and the ongoing transition that that is part of that as well. It's not just in the early years, although that's when um, there can be a lot of intensity, but really to know that you're not alone, that there is help and support out there um, and that to recognize all that you are doing. Um, I think sometimes we can really wanna focus on the things we wanna do differently or improve on or how we can make a change and move forward. But sometimes I think there's a lot of wisdom and value in just noticing where it is we are and, and what it is we are managing and experiencing in our lives right now wonderful advice where can we find you dr sophie sure yeah so you can find me um facebook and instagram dr sophie brock um on there my website drsophiebrock.com and um i think as you mentioned earlier i have a podcast the good enough mother so yeah those are all the places you can find me i'd love to hear from any of you and to connect more thank you for being with us today i hope you found this episode got you thinking I'd love you to continue the conversations with me on socials at Anna Cusack Postpartum or grab my book, Mama, You're Not Broken, from www.annacusack.com.au slash book. If you wish to give back to this podcast and its guests, head to www.annacusack.com.au slash podcast to become a patron of the show for just $5 a month. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next episode.